All right, prayer. All earthly things with earth will fade away, but prayer grasps eternity. But I'm convinced of this, God does not hear prayer. He hears desperate prayer. Prayer is not a position, whether you need. Prayer is not a position, it's a disposition. You get to the place where you'd rather sweat, you'd rather weep in his presence than laugh in anybody else's presence. You'd rather God whisper a secret into your heart that breaks you. And somebody give you the prizes that all the world covets. Prayer is almost the greatest human privilege that we have. topic prayer for the next couple of weeks and that was the voice of the great uh late great Leonard Ravenhill that you heard and so you get to hear his accent there on the bumper and now you get to deal with my accent and so it's quite the change there um from across the pond to Alabama but um but anyway well once again happy new year and I know this is the time of year we're always reevaluating. at least I do that every uh, year I try to think through things areas that I want to grow in mature in, show more wisdom in, be more disciplined in. It's a great time to do those sort of things, whether it's spiritual things or physical things. It's important and good, but, you know, as we seek to always be bettering ourselves and to grow and to mature, and really what we're talking about doing is changing, but in the right kind of way, um, one of the real keys to that that we need to understand as believers this morning is, is prayer. Um, God changes us uh, as we pray, as we interact with his word, and the next two weeks, that's what we're going to be talking about is prayer, and we're going to do this from the book of Ephesians. Um, Ephesians chapter 1 is where we're going to be this morning. Paul has a couple of uh, prayers in the book of Ephesians that he prays for the church at Ephesus. And we're going to look at one of them this week and one of them next week. Um, these prayers that Paul prayed for Ephesus. And one of the best ways to learn how to pray and to grow and mature in your prayer life um, and to learn how God desires for us to pray is to look at the prayers in the Bible. And these prayers reveal things to us about the heart of God, which is really what prayer is really about, is understanding, knowing God better, growing in our relationship with Him. They show us what God desires for us um, and how to know and grow in these things. And, and I'm all about having our, our prayer list and requests and things we're praying for. But the good news uh, that I want you to understand this morning and next week are there are things in the Bible that we can pray for and know God wants to answer, Right? There's some things we're praying for and we're kind of like, I don't know if I'm going to get this or not. I'm not sure if this is God's will or not. But then there are things that you can ask for in the Bible that you can know God wants to give this to you. And sometimes you have not right because you ask not. So we're going to be focusing on the things we know he wants to answer these next couple of weeks. It's like, um, you know, obviously this uh, Christmas season just wrapped up and, you know, we began this season in our home with, we always do this with our kids. We give them like a little toy catalog from Target or somewhere like that. You can get the good old Sears catalog like I had when I was a kid. And we just say, just go through and circle things you like. It's just a way for us to get ideas, right? And so it's always interesting what they circle. And I'm looking at it, and there's things that they're circling that I'm like, you don't even know what that is, or you're not getting an iPhone 10, or, or whatever. You know, just things that I'm like, you're six. I don't even know. What, what would a four-year-old do with this and things like that? And they're just going through, they're circling things. That's way outside our price range, whatever it is. And I'm looking, I'm thinking, you know, if I gave you that, you could hurt yourself with that. Or if I gave you that, you wouldn't know what to do with that. And then there are things that they circle that they're going to get because they're hitting the sweet spot of, okay, I want to give you that. Uh, that's in the budget, and, um, and it's something you want, something I want to give you, and boom, here it is, right? 
And in a similar way, with our prayer requests before God, there's this kind of sweet spot that we can know we can hit when we're asking for things that God wants to give us. We're asking for things that are in his will. And, uh, and we need to be praying um, in that way. What if you could pray and know God wants to answer this prayer? You can do that. There are things in your prayer life that you can be asking for that God wants to give you. And today's prayer is one of those kind of prayers uh, that we find in Ephesians 1, verses 15 through 23. It's a prayer rooted in a request to know, to know specifically, to know God and to know some other things better in a deeper way because we know God in a deeper way. It's, a, it's about a better understanding, a fuller knowledge. It's about experiencing God in such a way that it just kind of overwhelms us, blows your spiritual mind, if you will. Paul prays this for them, and he prays that they would know God in a more deep and profound way is really what this prayer is about. And I need to know God in a more deep and profound way. I need to see his truth more clearly. You need that. We need that. Your spouse needs that. Your kids need that. Your pastor needs that. Your, your friends need that. The person next to you needs that. And one of the things I hope the next two weeks does as we do this little series on prayer is that I hope it kind of begins to shape and mold the types of things we pray for. And I hope it impacts what we ask for when we pray. So look with me at Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to read verses 15 through 23 as Paul talks about one of his prayers for the Ephesians. He says, For this reason... Because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we thank you for this prayer. We thank you for your word. Uh, Lord, it reveals to us just the need that we have to pray and to seek to know you more in a deeper way, in a more experiential way, to, to understand your nature, your character. Uh, this is a prayer that's good for us to know and to pray for us and for others. And Lord, I pray that you would just open our minds to understand truth from it this morning. Your spirit would, would press it into our hearts and help us to, to live out the impact of this in our prayer life. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right? Now, look with me. Let's just kind of walk through this. Verse 15 there, when Paul says, for this reason, okay, he is echoing, he's coming back to all the things he said that we didn't walk through, because we're not going through the whole book of Ephesians, in verses 1 through 14. When Paul, that's what he's referring back to. For this reason, based off all this stuff, and what those first 14, 14, 14 verses are about is what, who we are, what we have in Christ. That is the key phrase to the first 14 verses of Ephesians that Paul repeats multiple times in Ephesians is that phrase, in Christ. In other words, in relationship with Christ, you have these things. Because you know Jesus, because you have been forgiven of your sin, because you are in Christ, this is true. And in verse 3, he tells them because you're in Christ, you have every spiritual blessing. 
right? You don't need a, a second blessing. You've got every blessing in Christ, right? Everything you need to grow and mature spiritually is available to you in Jesus, right? In verses 4 and 5, he tells us, believer, you are chosen in him and predestined for adoption, right? You are the chosen of God, not the frozen chosen, just the chosen of God. He knew you and chose you before you were even born. God wants you, right? He desires for you to know him and for him to know you. That's an amazing truth. In verse 7, he says, we have in him we have redemption through his blood, through the blood of Jesus. Forgiveness of sins. That, just that in of itself is amazing. That Jesus shed his blood for you, for me, for us. And then verse 13, he says, the moment you believe, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. That he is the guarantee of our inheritance. So we have this inheritance laid up for us in heaven. This We're guaranteed to spend eternity with God in a new heaven, new earth, glorified body that doesn't sick, get sick, that doesn't grow old, and to be without sin, to know God forever. That's guaranteed. That we, we know that's our future, and the Holy Spirit's presence and activity in our life today is the guarantee, the down payment of that. We, the, our little taste of heaven here on earth, God's presence with us in the Holy Spirit. And Paul's point, and those first 14 verses is simply this. If you know Jesus, if you're a believer in Christ, if you've turned from your sin and embraced him as Lord and Savior, you are rich. You are spiritually rich. Whatever you may possess in this world is absolutely nothing compared to what you possess in Christ Jesus. Our identity is not wrapped up in possessions and achievements or failures or sins. Our identity is in him, is in Christ, but not everyone has this. It's, it's the believer. He makes it very clear that this, this prayer is geared towards the believer because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints. It's, it's those who, who have faith in Christ who have been transformed into the people that, that love God and love people. It's those people that he prays this prayer for because this, this prayer is really a prayer for the believer. If the eyes of your heart have not yet been enlightened to see and know who Christ is and to follow him, you can't grow in a deeper knowledge of him. You gotta first know him personally through through saving faith. And this is the prayer for the believer. It's, if you're here this morning and, and you've never crossed that line of faith and you say, oh, well, I'm not a believer, or I'm not sure if I'm a believer, well, the great thing is the things we're talking about and the things that I just ran through in those first 14 verses can be yours in Christ. You can have forgiveness of sin. You can have an inheritance in him. You can be sealed with the Holy Spirit. You can have every spiritual blessing. It's found through faith in Christ, the one who shed his blood that we might be redeemed, might be forgiven of our sins. Now, Paul gets into here what he's praying for them and why. His prayer is centered around fully grasping all we have in Christ so that we better kind of know God, his nature, and what God's doing in us, through us, for us. In verse 17 and 18, you see there in verse 17, um, he talks about uh, that God giving us a spirit he says in verse 17, may, God may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. You see spirit, in my translation, is capitalized. And that can be translated either way, but that's probably, I believe, the best translation of this. And the idea is they already have the Holy Spirit, right? He's already told us we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. So why is he praying for God to give us the Spirit if we've already had the Spirit? And what he's talking about here is I want you to have an experience with the Holy Spirit in such a way, right? The Holy Spirit you already have and are sealed with. I want you to experience his work in such a way that you know God better, that you know what you have in Christ better. I want the Holy Spirit who imparts wisdom, who imparts revelation to do that for you. And one 
Trusted Bible scholar points out how this word for revelation that you see there actually refers to the hidden things of God. In other words, this isn't like math, like you look at it and you go, well, 2 plus 2 equals 4, and everybody can learn that. And, but no, this is spiritually discerned things. This is spiritual truth that God has to spiritually open our eyes to understand, right? And so there, there's a difference in looking at the Bible and reading the Bible and saying, I know some things, right? And saying, well, I know the attributes of God, and I've memorized them. Or I went through catechism and I know all this stuff about God. Or I learned these Bible verses and I know all this stuff about God. And experientially knowing in such a way that it's beyond your mind and it's in your heart and it begins to change who you are and change you from the inside out. That kind of revelation where you're, where you're not just mentally aware, but you become spiritually aware and alive to who God is. That kind of thing that only the Holy Spirit can do and only the Holy Spirit can reveal. Because spiritual truth can only be known in the way that it's meant to be known supernaturally. When the Holy Spirit's alive and at work in our hearts and in opening our eyes to the wonders of his word. He actually points out having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. I think what he means here is the eyes of your heart have already been enlightened, right? You've already been given spiritual eyes to see who Jesus is and to, to repent and put your faith in him. But, but now I want you to, to even more fully understand what you have in him and who God is, this God who saves you and who is your heavenly father. It actually says, in the knowledge of him. That's what the whole prayer is about. It's about in the knowledge of him. We learned that a big part of prayer is about growing in our understanding of God, who he is, what he's doing. Prayer is not primarily about us getting our wish. It's primarily about us grasping God in his heart and knowing God better. Listen, God wants you and I to know him. He wants us to have wisdom and insight and the knowledge of him. He wants the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to the wonders of his word and for our hearts to experience him in relationship. And don't miss this. Prayer is not mainly, we're learning here, about a list. It's about a person. And the first part of the Lord's Prayer that Jesus taught us to pray is what? Hallowed be your name, right? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It's all very God-centered in how we relate to God in our hearts and in our lives. And prayer is first and foremost about God. And God wants us to know him. He has, he has nothing to hide, right? In terms of his character and his nature, God's not like trying to hide things from us. Like, I don't want you to know that about me. Don't read that part of the Bible. I'm afraid you'll learn some things about me that will scare you. That's not what, and we're not used to that because we're sinners and we're fallen and we have a natural tendency to kind of put guardrails up about certain areas in our life. And our culture tends more and more towards being kind of a little more inauthentic. I mean, we go on social media, if you've got Instagram or something like that, and you go and you post a video or something of your family Christmas or, or some uh, thing on the weekend to family or a picture, that thing is edited and it is filtered and things are cropped out, right? That video doesn't, I mean, I do it, right? When I post a nice little video of my family on, on Instagram, you don't see my kids yelling and screaming and acting a fool. And they do that sometimes. You don't hear the, the getting into trouble and, and all those sort of things. That's not what we post. We post the, the cute stuff, right? We crop out the mess, right? Oh, look how neat and nice and tidy. But we all, and you stand back and it's like, whoa, you know what happened there? Some of you are like, I don't understand what you're talking about. I don't have that social media. So let me put it in terms maybe that you would understand. When you invite people over to your home, right, you, you, you want to make a good presentation. So you clean up, you tidy, you clean the bathroom, you don't, you don't have a guest come into your home and go, here, let me show you this wreck of a closet. The Ark of the Covenant may be in there. Huh? We don't do that. We, we crop, we edit, we filter, we want to present. And see, my point is this. God doesn't have to work to do all that. He just is. He is holy, and he is great, and he is majestic, and he is beautiful in every way. And God just says, come know me. 
And I want you to know everything there is to, to know about me, my nature, my character. I invite you to know me through my word. And when we pray, we need to be praying to know God. We need to ask God to reveal himself to us through his word. We need to seek to experience the wisdom imparting, revealing power of the Holy Spirit. We need to pray that for ourselves. We need to pray that for others. We need to not merely interact with a list. And there's nothing wrong with a prayer list. Those are good. But we don't need to merely interact with a list. We need to interact with a person. God. And when you pray, you're not shopping, right? You're, you're living out a relationship with God. So this should change how we pray for ourselves. It should change how we pray for others. This prayer is, was what Paul was praying for other people. So yes, your, your spouse may need help with something at work. Your kids may need friends. Your uncle may need a job. Pray for all that. Just don't forget that more than all this, they, you, and I need God. And we need to know him better. We need to experience him in all these ways. And, and what Paul does here in this passage is he says, in the more deep, when, when, you, when you experience God in this way and, this, the, and you grow in this knowledge of him, you're going to know, I want you, there's three things I want you to know that come as a result of this. And this, and, and this knowledge of, of God, this knowledge of him, there's three things that you get from that. Let's walk through them. The first one is you learn more about your, you have more, more of a knowledge of our hope. He says, I, I want you to know these things. He says, I want you to know what is the hope to which he has called you. What if this year through your prayer life you got more hope? What if your, your spouse got hope? What if your neighbor gained hope, right? Scholared, uh, one, one scholar, Harold Pointer, points this out. He says, he's not focusing here on objective hope. And that sounds like a small point to bring up from a commentary, but it's a really big deal. The focus is not objective hope. There's a hope that we have that's objectively true, that cannot be taken away from us or robbed from us in any way, that every believer has laid up in heaven with Christ. We have the hope of a future with him. The moment we believed in Christ, the moment we responded to his call, right, the hope to that which we have been called, his effectual call, the call of him on our life, calling us to Christ in salvation, we gained a real objective hope. A certain expectation is what that means. Of eternity with him. We have the hope that he will certainly return to the earth and set up a new heaven and earth. We have the hope that we're not just saved, but we will receive glorified bodies in the end and the ultimate result of our salvation eternity with him. We, we have that hope. That's objectively true. Man, it's, it's rock solid. But here he's focused on subjective hope. He wants them and he wants us to know we have hope. He wants us to know what, what is objectively true. He wants us to subjectively feel it in our heart. And that, there's a difference in that. And, and some of you know what I mean. When you objectively know this is true, and it, when you kind of feel it and you know it in a way that it begins to impact how you live and how you think and, 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 and you, just, you just sense it in your heart and in your, in your spirit. That's kind of what I'm talking about, that subjective hope. It's like if you ask a child, do you know that I love you? And they likely will say, well, sure. I mean, but, but, but that's not, we don't mean like factually do you know it's true because I tell you I love you and I'm your parent. We mean like do, do you sense it? Do you, do, I, want you to, I want your heart to know that you're loved. And that's what Paul's saying here. It's like um, if, I, uh, if I open a weather out up before I go outside and I pull out my phone and I say, what's the temperature going to be this morning? And I see that it's going to be a high of 97 degrees. I know it's hot. It's going to be hot. But see, it says 30 degrees. I know it's going to be cold. 
But there's a difference in that and me going outside and experiencing 97 degree heat and wanting to hide from the sun or 30 degree cold and wanting to, to, to bundle up. There's a difference in me looking at it on a weather. I go, well, I know that's true. And me walking outside and feeling it and knowing it. And I think that's what Paul's getting at here. I want you to know it in such a way. It's like you can feel it on your skin, right? Like with the sun on your skin versus the sun on an app. I want you to know it in an experiential sense. And I believe we need to pray for ourselves and for others to know the hope God has called us to in this way. Not simply like a theological fact, but deeper in our heart experientially so that we feel it. This is important because when we lose sight of our hope in Christ, we misplace our hope. We misplace it. And there's nothing more disheartening than a believer with real hope in Christ, eternal hope, living like their hope is in the things of the world. And the better you get to know the God of the Bible, the better you get to know your Father in Heaven, the more certainty that you will feel, the more confidence you will have in this hope. And the things of the world will feel hollow and less appetizing to you. And you'll be less likely to put your hope in wealth and less likely to put your hope in, 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 in relationships or material things or your job or your achievements or, or your morality or whatever it may be and more likely to confidently rest in the hope you have in Christ. So pray this year for you. Pray it for others that... You won't put hope in money or possessions or things in this world. Pray that God would help you to know where your hope really lies and to feel it in your heart in a way that would change the way you live. So we can know more about our hope. Number two, he wants them to know this, our preciousness and our purpose in Christ. He says, I want you to know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Now here's the thing. That, that blew my mind when I first studied this passage because I looked at it and I thought, okay, he wants us to understand what all we have in Christ, like our inheritance. But that's not what it, when you start slowing down and reading it over and over again, you're like, that's not what it says. He doesn't say what are the riches of your glorious inheritance. He says, I want you to know what's the riches of his, of God's glorious inheritance in the saints. What's, it, what's, what's the point? This isn't about our inheritance in him. It's about God's inheritance in us. So I don't like that. Well, that's what it says. Right? Our, our inheritance is inheritance in us, in the saints. See, God's inheritance is in his people. And there are riches there. It's a glorious inheritance because of his redeeming people for his glory. And this reveals something, this, this phrase here. First of all, we need to understand something, that we are precious to God. Every believer in Christ is precious to God. You are loved. God rejoices in you. He can do that because by his grace he has redeemed you and made you his. You are part of God's riches that is meant to glorify him. What would it do for your life if you begin to be more fully realizing, more aware of the fact of the riches of God's glorious inheritance in the saints? You would begin to realize how precious every saint is, every believer is, how precious the church is to God. Could your heart use that this year? Would it do something for you this year if you more fully realize that? You need to pray this year for you and for other believers you know to fully realize how precious you are to God in His sight. That's a big deal. This should change how we think. It should change how we treat other people, especially other believers. Listen, that believer that we, you might be tempted to gossip about or slander or not reach out to or not be kind towards or to hold a grudge against or to forgive, not forgive is precious in the sight of God. So precious that God has redeemed that person, brought them to that they are in Christ. Jesus shed his blood for them. They're a child of the king. Listen to how God in the Old Testament says he rejoices over his people as they trust in him. This is from Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord your God is in your midst, he tells Israel. A mighty one who will save. 
He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Think about that. It's like, I didn't know that was in the Bible. Yeah, God takes joy in his people. He's he like, I sing over you. I, I take joy in you. God cherishes his people. We are his, and he, he delights in us. I think Warren Wiersbe gets to the heart of this in this quote. He says this, Just as a man's wealth brings glory to his name, so God will get glory from the church because of what he has invested in us. When Jesus Christ returns, we shall be, quote, to the praise of the glory of his grace. That's Ephesians 1.6. That's what it's all about. It's our purpose to the praise of his glory, his glory of his grace. And here's the point. As we understand we are God's inheritance, that we are a part of that, that, that we belong to him and that we are going to be brought to him to bring him glory, to make much of his grace, we begin to better understand both, yes, our preciousness to God, but also our purpose, and that our purpose actually exists in him, that, that we are a part of God's plan. We're not an add-on or an afterthought or an oops or an accident. We are a part of his plan from before time began. And that our purpose is in connection to him. As Wearsby reminds us, Paul says a few verses earlier that we should be to the praise and the glory of his grace. And that's why you and I ultimately exist, to praise and glorify the God of grace, the God of heaven. And the more your mind and heart grasp that, the more it will change the way you live. The more practically it will affect your purpose in life the more you understand your eternal purpose in Christ. And in a world where you can feel like an afterthought to a lot of people, in a world that will cast you aside when the next whatever comes along, in a world that wants you to think you are without purpose and without meaning, we need to know that you are a part of the riches of God's glorious inheritance. You are precious to God and with purpose in God. And pray this year that God makes that more and more known to your heart to your church's heart, to your children's heart, to your spouse's heart. Somebody today may need to hear your value is not in your job. Your value is not in the lack of job you have. Your value is not what your ex-husband or wife or boyfriend or girlfriend says about you. Your value is not what your abusive parents said about you growing up. Your value is not tied to your performance or your achievement or your pedigree, no matter what it is or the lack thereof. Your value is found in this as a child of God. It's found in God says you are his. You are his, and you are valuable to him. Somebody else may need to hear that your purpose is bigger than your job. It's bigger than your personal goals. It's, it's bigger than, uh, than, than making money. It's, it's about more than the kids you raise or don't raise. Your purpose is found in him. It's found in the fact that you are his inheritance and meant to bring him glory. And that's your eternal purpose. So let that influence you in the here and now, right, as we live out our lives. So church, we need to pray. Pray that we know him in such a way that we know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Thirdly, he prays that we know his power. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? The last thing Paul prays for them to know is God's power toward them. He wants them to know and understand the power available in Christ to them and us. Immeasurable, he calls it. Great, he calls it. You can't possibly know how powerful God is toward you. The power at work toward us, he says. I'm convinced many believers in Christ today do not fully understand the power available to us in Jesus Christ. And Paul wants us to grasp it. Because it'll change your life. Because what you know 
can and should change your life, especially when you know it in an experiential way and not just in a head knowledge way, but know it in your heart. Imagine if you went home today and found out all weekend you had a billion dollars in the bank. Somebody just giving it to you. You had it all weekend. And it had not changed the way you live, right? Why? Because you didn't know you had it. But let me, I'm betting it's going to change the way you live on Monday. Right? Somebody's like, I'm buying the dolphins, right? Whatever it is. They're going to win. You know? But listen, it will change. once you know it, it begins to affect your behavior. It begins to affect your thoughts. It begins to affect what you do. And there are things, when we know it, it changes things. You may ask, why do I need to know this? What's the difference that God can make in this power in my life? Listen, when you got saved, you got three new enemies. The Bible is very clear on this. You, the world, the flesh, and the devil. By the world, I don't mean the people in the world. We talk about this. It's the, the world system, the, the fallen nature of this world, the, the current of this world that is, that is rushing towards sin, death, and hell, the, the, the part of this world that is tainted by sin and affected by Satan. In your flesh, the part of you as a believer that, that is still tempted to sin and drawn to sin and it falls into sin, that weak part of you, and then the devil and every demon in hell. you got all, you got all of those enemies. And then on top of all that, this isn't an enemy. This is just a part of life. You get trials. You had them before you were saved, and you got them after you're saved. You go through difficult times. And all this, the evil world system, influenced and dominated by sin, that hates you. Your flesh, that's so weak, but it's still a part of you, tempted to sin and struggling with and the fact that we live in a spiritual war zone with a real devil and, and demons and all that. And he gets into that in Ephesians 6, spiritual warfare that, that exists. And there's like this war that is being waged over your heart and over your life. And on top of these, it's the trials of life. And the point is this. Our power in our flesh is not enough to resist the temptations that the world offers. To overcome the weaknesses that we have in our flesh to defeat demonic forces or to overcome in the face of trials. But, but our power doesn't have to be enough. We have a greater power available to us, is his point. And we need to know that. Know it in the way that we experience it. And if you think you must, you must try to live life in your own power, that's very defeating, discouraging, right? You begin to get overwhelmed by trials and, and to feel like, man, I'll, I'll, never, I'll, I'll never get past this sin or this temptation and I'll, I'll never grow past this area and I'll never get out of this and this will never change about me. And it, it can be very discouraging and I don't know if I can handle this trial or whatever. If, if all you think is that the power that you have or your willpower or your self-determination is all you've got to rely on, that's a very discouraging thing. Because like I said, we, we struggle with getting through our diets and our Bible plans past March, right? We're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go out and defeat the world, the flesh, and the devil. And I'm like, you can't get through Leviticus. Yeah, right? We, we don't have the power and the willpower. We need God's help. We need the Holy Spirit. So then Paul shares about, about this power that's available. And I love this. He says, it's according to the working of his great might. There in verse 19. And then he, what working of what great might? Verse 20, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who feels all in all. He says, the same power that's at work in Jesus is at work in you. Because Christ, the hope of glory, is in you. The Spirit of God is taking up residence in you. Paul's saying that that power at work toward us he's talking about. It's the same power that God worked in Jesus. 
resurrection power that seated him in the place of authority in heaven. The power displayed in the fact that Christ is sovereign over and exalted over every authority and power and dominion and rule. The power on display in the fact that Jesus' name is above every name that's ever lived on the face of the earth. The power on display in the fact that all things are under the feet of Jesus. The power on display in Jesus' authority over his church. He's saying that power, that power at work in Christ is at work towards you. And it's available to you. When you go up against your flesh and temptation, when you're trying to survive a trial. In other words, to put it plainly, it means, Christian, you don't have to do that sin anymore. You've been set free from it and given the Holy Spirit to walk in victory over it. You don't have to give up in the middle of that trial. You don't have to live like the world, even though it's tempting to keep up with the Joneses. You say, but I'm so weak. Yeah, me too. And that's kind of the whole point. That's why this power is available to us is because we are weak. It's Christ in us. And all Paul is saying here is, I just want you to know it. That's all he's getting into at this particular point in the passage. I just want you to know, to realize that it's there in a way that grips your heart so that you stop relying on yourself and start relying on the power of the Holy Spirit available to you in Christ Jesus. Because if you know it, it should change your life. Listen, Christmas Eve, I, had the, I got the great thrill of putting together what is known as a power wheel. Right? Anybody know what a power wheel is? It's like a mini car for a child. Okay, uh, and it has a top end of like five miles per hour. And so we didn't go buy the one that's all put together and loaded up. And we bought the one in a box. And I, and I remember, and Christy told me, she says, you know, you need, to, you need to put that thing, you need to look at that thing. And I said, it can't, it, look, it's in a box, it's a big thing. It can't be in about like four pieces. I'll put it together Christmas Eve, no big deal. So Christmas Eve, kids go to bed, I open the thing up, I crack it open, and I'm like, oh my word, right? And there's like all these pieces and all this stuff, and I'm like, I'm going to need to ma- be a master mechanic to assemble this thing. I need like some kind of degree from the, I don't know, University of Chevrolet or something to be able to, to, to put this thing together. And so it took like two hours, right? And I'm reading directions, and I'm matching up screws and bolts, and I had to put all this thing together. And I get the whole frame assembled, right, this little two-seater power wheel, Get the battery. I'm looking at the battery and plug the battery in here. And then I catch something within the ring. I'm looking at the gear shift. I see reverse. And I see this other gear. And that's it. And I'm, reading in the, I'm reading the directions. And it, and it says it says there's an advanced speed option. You know? Advanced speed. It says, yeah, there's a little screw that if you take it out, it goes twice the speed. It goes from two miles per hour to five miles per hour. Woo! Right? So being a good father, I took it out, okay? So I'm like, you know, I take it out, you know, and all this kind of stuff. But the whole point is your child can be out there because they don't know, and they can be, you, you can control how fast they're going, so they, so they don't really even know that this is available to them. And I tell that little silly story because I think it exemplifies for us so well the way a lot of believers live our lives, kind of stuck in first gear in the Christian life. Defeated in trial, defeated in temptation, Miserable a lot of times. And no idea that we're stuck in first gear. There's like this whole other gear that's available to us because of the power that's available in Christ called, called being filled with the Holy Spirit and, and, and realizing that we're alive in Him and relying on His power. And, and, and man, the, the Christian life can feel powerless and even boring apart from what it's meant to be, which is a life, a Spirit-filled, Spirit-empowered life of you relying on the riches that are available to you in Christ Jesus. 
And that's the secret to obedience in the Christian life. That's the secret to victory in the Christian life. That's the secret to joy in the Christian life, in the abundant Christian life. It's the power that's available to us because of who we are in Christ and the spirit that we've been sealed with. Let me ask you, could your heart use a dose of, of hope this year? A dose of knowing your purpose and preciousness in Christ. Could it, could it use the knowledge of this power in an experiential way? Then you need to know God better. That's the whole purpose of the prayer. It's good that we meant more intimately, more powerfully. And we do that. We ask for that. We pray. We interact with the word of God. And God wants to do this. He wants us to open our eyes, to open our eyes in such a way that we begin to grow and mature in our faith. And so you need to pray this for yourself and you need to pray this for your church and for your pastor and for your, your Christian friends. This is one of the ways we need to pray. And we have not because we ask God. We grow spiritually cold because we're not hot with prayer. We need to pray. We need to pray about what matters most. And these are the kinds of things that matter most. So what's your struggle right now? Maybe it's a temptation. Maybe you're in the middle of a trial. I heard somebody say one time you're either coming out of one, in one, or going into one. Happy Sunday, right? That's, that's life, right? It's, it's, it's always there. Are you given to perform in your own flesh, your own power? Are you, are you terrified and fearful of spiritual enemies? Pray. You have more power available to you in Christ than our minds could ever comprehend. But remember, this prayer is for the believer. All of it is for those who have faith in Jesus. This power if you don't know Jesus, can be available to you. It can be available to you. You can have this wealth in Christ. And you have to follow Jesus. You have to turn from your sin and embrace Christ as Lord and Savior because the truth is we're all weak. We're all powerless. We're all sinners. We've all fallen short of God's glory. We've all failed to live a morally upright life in some way. None of us are perfect. And we all need a Savior because God is holy and just. He sent Jesus to be our Savior. Jesus died in our place on the cross to bear our guilt, to bear the punishment we deserve so we don't have to bear it. And he rose from the dead so that we can be justified before God so that we can be alive to God. And if you'll turn from your sin and put your faith in Jesus, he takes your sin, he gives you his righteousness, right? He died so he can give you life. So that's, that's step one of, of all this is to know all these riches are, can be yours in Christ if you put your faith in Christ. And secondly, for all of us this morning who have faith in Christ, we, we need to be asking the question, man, what's my prayer life like? Is it mostly just listing from time to time? Or am I, am I, is it relating? <laughs> am I actually cognizant of the fact that I'm talking to God and he hears me and, and he, wants to, he wants me to know him more? He wants me to grow in this way. He wants me to know more about these things that we talked about this morning. Pray like this. Take your Bible this week and open it to Ephesians 1 at some point and begin to walk through this prayer. And just pray something. Just do it like this. Just say, Father, would you give me the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you? Would you give that to the people that I'm in community with at church? Would you give that? To, and just begin to pray through that like that. And say, God, I, I want to know the hope that I've been called to. Would you help me to know the hope? I, would you help me to know the glorious inheritance that's uh, yours in the saints? Would you have me to understand more and more what it means that as a believer in Christ, I'm precious to you and the church is precious to you and that we're made for your glory? And just pray through that. That's, that's how you interact with Scripture. That's just part of a daily quiet time, just getting along with God and not just reading His Word, but interacting with His Word and praying His Word, especially when you get to these prayers. And here's the good news. God wants to answer this prayer. 
And there's a lot of things that we can pray for that are good things that we should pray for and things that we think will change our life. But here's a prayer that we know will change our life. Let's pray.